I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is asking for a secure corridor for Ukrainian vessels to be able to ship out grain and prevent sh- food shortages in Africa and Asia. The request comes as Russian officials say two major Ukrainian ports seized by Russia were ready to resume shipments if Kyiv demined the approaches to its ports. The war is forcing the World Bank to downgrade its outlook for the global economy. That's a pretty good angle for President Zelensky. It's true, and and plus, if he can get the world to focus attention on, hey, you got hundreds of millions of people that might starve because the Russians are doing what they're doing in terms of farming and grain and ports and all that, and uh, that'd be a good way to maybe force the world's hand. Yeah, generally the world is pretty lazy until they have to do something. And, and the countries where most people are going to starve don't have the power to do anything. I, I, I harbor some hope. Joe's soft on starvation today. Well, no, nah, it's not that. It's just like the World Bank has, uh, what did they say, downgraded their expectations? You can't downgrade my expectations. Please, I'm despairing. Uh, please, we're screwed, all of us. So eh, just live with it. It's like that poll we used to look at all the time where they ask you, are you thriving or not? <laughs> I don't even know. I, I haven't thrived since Carter was in the White House. I haven't thrived in some time. Uh, we're gonna, I got a couple of Ukraine things that I think are interesting, but we've got to get this to this story. The rise of youth cage fighting. That has what been banned. What? That's been banned in some states. It's uh, big in Southern California. The rise of youth cage fighting. So stay tuned for that. God dang it, who's watching that? Letting their kids participate. Anyway, you'll get more details on the way. So two stories out of Ukraine that I found were interesting. Ukrainian civilians may be forfeiting their protected status that comes with the rules of war worldwide. Every time they pick up a cell phone and report on Russian troop locations. Now, nobody's suggesting they stop do that, stop doing that, but... uh, 
world bodies say that under the rules of war, the official rules of war, as soon as a user in a war zone picks up a smartphone to assist the army, both the technology and the individual could be considered sensors or nodes. Uh, gets into some complicated terms. Inviting citizens to become a potential element in a military system and are fair game and do not fall under the whole, hey, you can't be bombing civilians sort of thing. Yeah. Or shooting civilians. I would suggest that they're already beating them, torturing them, occasionally raping them and and murdering them. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick up my cell phone because I'm not feeling super protected by the rules of warfare at this point. Uh, Decent point. The principle of distinction between the two roles is a critical cornerstone of the international humanitarian law, the law of armed conflict. And it gets into just modern technology. Um, How are we going to deal with this in the future? The the idea that you were aiding and abetting or something, and so your fair game was definitely more complicated pre-internet and cell phone, but f- freaking everybody who's got a cell phone or a computer at all has a, the ability to play a role if you get invaded now. Yeah, absolutely. And of course you would. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. And then this. This is from the New York Times. An on-the-ground look at the challenges for Ukrainian soldiers who are trying to learn how to use these advanced weapons systems that are flooding in from the United States and other NATO countries. I've been trying to how to trying to learn how to use this rangefinder by reading the manual in English and using Google Translate to understand it. One sergeant told the New York Times, "Actually, try, found the manual online and then is using Google Translate to try to get it from English to Ukrainian to try to figure out how to use it." Yeah, I, I happen to read that. It was about, you know, a sighting system for some advanced artillery, and, and you got all sorts of buttons, you got numbers, you got readings, and these people don't have any idea what they are. Right. Well, it's the best you can do, I suppose. Yeah, although the point, you know, they're making is that it's fine and good to send these more advanced weapon systems to them, but it takes a while to get everybody up to speed. There's sure. a real delay, and... That's why I'm so annoyed by so much of the foot dragging that's taken place so far. I mean, it has its cost. You know, and we got an email from somebody who said, love Mike Lyons, but I remember when you talked to him about getting uh, the MiGs to the Ukrainians, and he said, nah, it'd take too long. Well, if you'd gotten them those MiGs then, they'd be trained up and ready to go at this point. So, I don't know. I'm just... That's a, a decent point. Uh, I just saw a poll number that got my attention. I'll have to look into it. Two-thirds of Americans expect inflation to intensify. Inflation, which has a large emotional aspect to it. If two-thirds of Americans think inflation is going to get worse, their buying habits are going to make inflation worse. Try to not that one. Anyway, more. well, it's it's rational. If yeah, prices of keep, you got to stuff your freezer full now of that beef that uh, you can't afford. Or if you need a, uh, a refrigerator, I saw a refrigerator get unloaded from a truck in my neighborhood yesterday. I thought they must have needed a refrigerator. They probably probably wasn't just a. We should get a black one. I'm tired of the stainless steel. I'll bet that conversation wasn't happening. They right. probably needed one. But so you're going to buy it now, which of course increases inflation because. You know, it's funny. I'm not doing that. I'm doing the opposite. I'm feeling like, hey, let's let's save our pennies. Let's be kind of conservative. Let's not buy stuff. Um, hoping that this all tamps down at some point. But I'm not sure that's realistic. Maybe I'm better off. Maybe Judy and I ought to go to the store, gasp in horror, and, and fill the freezer with meat. I don't know. Or embrace it. All tournaments. 
The delicious, tender meat of the raccoon, for instance. Squirrel. You gotta, you know, uh, kill a fair number of squirrels to make a meal, I have a feeling. How meaty is a squirrel? I don't know. Sometimes you get your skinny-looking squirrels. Sometimes they're quite beefy. Your your purchases that are, what do you call, I guess, discretionary, is the right term, but like getting the newer cell phone or the nicer TV. You've already got one. It's fine, but you get the newer, bigger model. That stuff's going to fall by the wayside here in coming months a lot, isn't it, if it hasn't already for some people? Oh, yeah. If consumer spending is two-thirds of the economy, and and the most of that is not the one percenters, it's the mass of people who are working for a living, um, and they're they're the people most affected by inflation. Those are retirees, obviously. I wouldn't upgrade my TV now. I was at Best Buy the other day, and I was thinking, who's who's deciding, you know what, I want to go to 4K? Really? I think whatever I got now is fine. Um, At least until things stop being crazy. God dang it. Some of these places could become ghost towns. Yeah, well, you know, again, citing squirrels, now's the time to protect your nuts, right? You don't want to get fast and loose now. Gather your nuts close to you and keep them. Just you don't know what's going to happen next. How about we go with grasshoppers and grains so we get away from your childish <laughs> testicle references? What now? <laughs> A couple, of, a couple of tales of billionaires taking an active role in America's uh, politics and economy, one of which I think is probably a good thing, a couple of which I think are not. And then also this hour, uh, we, we asked for your reaction yesterday to our discussion about Matthew McConaughey's speech, the idea of nicing it up, the idea of uh, the outer 5% on each side have to stop controlling the conversation Got some really interesting, thought-provoking reactions to that I want to share with you. I definitely want to hear that. And then we've got this youth cage fighting, uh, MMA for children, which is uh, a thing, apparently. Just fantastic. I got at least one kid that would like to participate in that. (laughs) Well, well, yeah, I I don't think I'm outraged by this, but I'll stay tuned. I'm outraged. I'm just kind of... You sounded outraged before. I don't know that I want to watch it. I don't know that I want to watch it. Cover your nuts. Ah, jeez. All right, stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Election aftershocks on the streets of San Francisco. Fed up with rampant lawlessness, drug use, and theft, voters overwhelmingly recalled District Attorney Chesa Boudin, one of the most progressive DAs in the nation. But his decisive defeat sends a message to other soft-on-crime DAs that even the most liberal of cities won't tolerate progressive reforms that favor rehabilitation and second chances over locking people up. People are going to take a very hard look at any candidates that are running as a progressive DA to see whether or not they really have mal intentions. Some of the stories from around the country are just astounding about that hit and run teen felon in Los Angeles. You had, uh, I think it was the Philadelphia police uh, tweeted out that they just arrested a guy for the 13th time in, in two months or something for theft or burglary. And he was out on the street again, thanks to the progressive DAs. Just amazing. Yeah. Shocking. And yes, we have seen the uh, the article from the Atlantic, how San Francisco became a failed city. I'll talk about that more uh, maybe later today or tomorrow. But um, speaking of that sort of thing, 
Uh, Jack, back in the day, I would occasionally bring up George Soros, and you'd roll your eyes a little bit. Uh, feeling that, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but perhaps he was a boogeyman of the right. Yeah. I think I felt as, that way. As people on the left had uh, the Koch brothers. The Koch their, brothers control everything. Their boogeyman, or is that boogie's man? Uh, at any rate. <laughs> I'm uh, your boogie's man. That's what I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. So, uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, their hits have aged well, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, definitely. My kids love them. They still bring the funk after all these years. Anyway. <laughs> It's absolutely undeniable that George Soros and his Open Society Foundation made it their goal over the past decade to elect dozens of progressive prosecutors. They've spent $40 million uh, electing those prosecutors, and Soros-backed prosecutors now represent one-fifth of all Americans. One-fifth. They hold office in half of the top 50 most populated U.S. cities and counties. Well, that's a pretty successful political movement. It's not one I uh, like or agree with at all, but that's a pretty successful movement right there. Yeah, and and the genius of it was they went for uh, a position that most people don't think about as as hugely important in terms of the way societies run. Now, well, the the veil has been pulled from our eyes. Now we all get it. But uh, over the past decade, George Soros has spent $40 million to elect 75 of his chosen prosecutors in campaigns from Houston to L.A. to Philly to Orlando. Soros was the campaign's biggest spender by far. He spent as much as 90% of the dollars spent in some races. And he's not done yet. He's already spent another million this far, uh, thus far this year, um, including, uh, well, George Gascon in LA, Kim Fox 666 in Cook County, Illinois, that's Chicago, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Alvin Bragg in, uh, Manhattan. So, uh, have you ever seen an interview with George Soros or read one where he explains this ideology? Cause I, I just can't wrap my head around it. He's a, uh, the uh, you know what, we really don't have time now, but the Open Society Foundation, they are way left. I mean, just they're, they're well, fine. revolutionary I, I lefties. That, but, but how do you think letting people go who have demonstrated to you the willingness to commit crimes over and over and over, do you, I, I, so again, I don't get it. And then what's the next step? They're going to all of a sudden stop or... Or that's okay, good no. for society that they're committing the crimes, or I don't, I don't, I, I still don't understand. No, I will, I will speak for Soros and people who yes. believe like him. Yes, Str- these steel, people, steel man, his argument for me. This, uh, what, what does that mean? Is the that opposite, of, the opposite of straw man. You're going to steel man the argument. Oh, I'm going to give the straw man a spine, huh? And some yeah. bones. All right then. They would say you just said they demonstrated their uh, what do you say? Uh, you know, uh, proclivity, their tendency to commit crimes over and over. No, they've demonstrated over and over their desperation, wrought from capitalism, white supremacy, and the old world order. What? what, what we're going to jail people for being desperate? Absolutely not. So we're punishing people who are just reacting to an oppressive system. That's wrong. Exactly. Yeah, until the the revolution comes. Uh, Moving along, a group that includes Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO of uh, Google, and Peter Thiel, who helped start PayPal, is funding, at least partially funding, a move to reinvigorate U.S. chip making. Amid the debate about how the U.S. can bring more manufacturing of semiconductors back to the country and worries it becomes a national security concern, they worry because that's true. 
A surprising group of well-connected billionaires has quietly assembled to influence the way Washington approaches this thorny challenge. They're looking for a public-private partnership to bring to onshore chip manufacturing. I listened to a story about chip making the other day, and I was way into it before I realized they were not we're not talking about Doritos and potato chips. I just, I don't know if I was hungry at the time or. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm a dullard. The group has met with lawmakers in Congress, hoping that U.S. taxpayers will help foot the bill. They're asking for a billion dollars. The group called America's Frontier Fund describes itself as, quote, the nation's first deep tech fund that invests for the national interest. An intriguing notion. Public-private partnerships in science are already a thing. I know my libertarian free market buddies would say, no, if we need it that much, companies will spring up and fill that need. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on that one. It's an intriguing idea. Like I say, uh, I'm afraid that there are too many uh, free marketeers who will sell America's national security uh, for a few shekels from China. So there's that. And the final billionaire story, a crypto billionaire known as Sam Bankman Fried, he's a Democrat, said he could spend a billion dollars or more on the 2024 election to try to get a Democrat elected would easily make him the biggest ever political donor in a single election. Wow. He's 30 years old, founder of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Okay. Said in an interview, he expects to give north of $100 million in the next election. He's a billionaire having founded something I just heard of for the first time 10 seconds ago. Correct. Correct. He expects to give north of $100 million. And has a soft ceiling of $1 billion. But it could go higher, with his spending likely to go higher if former President Donald Trump runs again. Bankman Freed, who, or Fried, who's estimated, it's probably Freed, who's uh, estimated to be worth more than $20 billion. Of course he is, because he founded whatchamacallit. FTX, Jack. Uh, he's already given away more than $200 million to various causes. Cautions that his political f- plans are still in flux. Million millionaires and billionaires. Now, I used to believe, because there's plenty of evidence to prove this, that above a certain amount, um, candidates getting more money doesn't do them any good. I mean, you need, a, you need to reach a threshold to compete, but after that, it's wasted. But maybe that's not true in these low turnout races where nobody's paying attention, where you can just overwhelm and, and get your way in those races. Yeah, this 30-year-old tech geek seems to be talking about the the big prize, the POTUS. But you're right. I mean, whether it's Soros or whomever else, people have realized, hey, school boards, uh, county councils, town councils, city, city, you know, boards of directors, whatever, um, uh, DAs, those races, they those people have a lot more power than I think a lot of us realize. Interesting. So you got some mailbag on what topic? I was excited about this. Are uh, nicing up uh, politics, oh. silencing the outer fringes, like Matthew McConaughey was discussing. Can it be done? Would it work? Yeah, I want to hear about that. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Armstrong and Getty Show. We're being told we're more divided than we are. I think that the veil over the masses' eyes, I think we got the numbers. And if we got to pull that veil off, quit drinking that Kool-Aid because we're hearing it from both sides, the extreme right and the extreme left, and they have the microphone. And I believe we have the numbers, the masses have the numbers. That when you got to take the we got to take the mic back, mic back, kick them off democracy's boat. The people I talk to on both sides are much more reasonable about things than we're being told we are. Matthew McConaughey, what did he call himself? A radical centrist or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who's in charge here? I think that's the question that uh, the discussion of this segment will boil down to. I've uh, got a number of emails commenting our discussion on our discussion yesterday of Matthew McConaughey's speech and the idea of the extreme voices on either side. Uh, is there reasonable uh, gun safety legislation that can be passed? All sorts of stuff. And we appreciate the notes. I wish we could read them all. He says, uh, insincerely, but, 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 uh, I've just picking, I've just picked a couple, um, to share. Uh, J.W. writes, uh, I'm a retired former Bay Area resident, longtime listener, now living in Portland, tired of being angry, frustrated, and disappointed in government and culture warfare. Took your suggestion to nice it up a bit. Shared that advice with three strangers and three family members today. I think you're on to something. I engaged others in a positive, hopeful manner and felt better about all of today's issues. I'm on a personal campaign to spread the word on just being nicer to one another. Hope you will continue to beat that drum as well. 
Uh, maybe some A&G swag on that team in the near future. Now now you're thinking, JW. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Uh, very kind of you to say. Yeah. I uh, got a lot of notes I'm, like that. I'm, um, I'm guessing they weren't all that charitable toward the point of view. I don't know. Uh, but then we got this uh, note that I wanted to feature in particular from the always uh, interesting JT in Livermore. And it, I think it will be a great discussion starter. It is a, a tad lengthy, but uh, we can take breaks whenever. Uh, da, 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 da. Nicing it up, unicornism or realism? There you go. That's the question. In an anger-dominated world, maybe nicing it up has some legitimacy. But in reality, there are so many headwinds that simply can't happen. Here are just five reasons why we can't nice it up. Uh, I'll already tell you, I'm, I'm going to quibble with some of these, but I, I don't feel the need to assume a position and just stick to it doggedly. It's kind of fun to pick up ideas and turn them around and look at each side of them. I'm a realist, not a cynic. Anyway, number one, money. As you said, there's so much money to be had in politics, and the angrier you can make the voters, the more money the politicians get. Win, lose, or draw. Why would they give that up? That's hard to argue with. The way we currently uh, fundraise, the the laws of the land now for fundraising for politicians, the way social media works, it's hard to imagine why politicians would want to nice it up. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's when we get to the who's in charge thing, and I think ultimately the people are in charge, and what will, you know, that's it's uh, almost a rhetorical question, but it's not. They would give that up if it stops working. If people get immune to the hyperbole and they're, oh, you're just trying to whip me up, so I'll give you $20. Because that's, that's the way I react to the various, you know, packs and super packs that email us all the time, or me personally, with the, you know, the Democrats are trying to X, Y, Z. Yeah, I know what they're trying to do. I follow the news, but you're not going to get $20 out of me. Right. That could take a very long time. Uh, so, again, this is not a rhetorical question. There's an answer to that question, but it, it takes a lot of patience. And I'm not sure it'll work at all. This is one of my favorite points that JT makes. Game theory. You can't meet in the middle because even rudimentary game theory tells us that once you give into the reasonable middle ground, there's no incentive for further negotiations, given that the middle ground has been taken out of the equation. In the abortion debate, the vast majority of Americans support first-term abortion. But if the left allows that common ground to become law, they'd never get anywhere nationally on late-term abortion. In a mythical world where law limits abortions to the first term, the late-term abortion advocates would have zero leverage. The right would simply refuse to engage further in trying to write or support late-term abortion laws. So in the real world, the left, by refusing to pass what the vast majority uh, supports, preserve the extreme portion of their abortion agenda. In other words, there's a disincentive to pass the common middle ground. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I remember reading about that, learning about that in political theory, too, way back in the day uh, when I was sober in class. And... um. What happened that day? You had a cold or? Yeah, I didn't feel good. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, and it reminds me in a very real way of, oh, the idea just flitted out of my head. There's so many ideas, too many probably. Um, uh, what the, 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 the game theory giving up the middle? Oh, oh, also the tried and true, the truism. It's, it's the tablets in Moses' sweaty mitts. It's so true. That politicians would rather have an issue than solve an issue. Right. Come on. That's, that's, you can't raise money on, hey, I settled this. 
That's a different uh, angle to throw into your whole negotiation game theory. Is that yeah. there's there's generally like if you and I are haggling over buying a car or whatever we're doing, um, uh, neither one of us benefits from it just continuing, <laughs> right. continuing to be a, a battle. Right. Either one of us is willing to walk away from the deal, but we're there because we want to deal. The politicians are there because they want money. They don't want a deal. But again, this is a thinking man's woman's. I'm I'm so sorry, ladies. That was sexist, and I don't deserve your forgiveness. (laughs) Wow. It's a a thinking person's look at will it be possible to nice up politics. Wow. Please do not use gendered language to to address everyone. I do not deserve your forgiveness. (laughs) I've never heard anybody say that. The only thing I deserve really is probably a spanking because I've been a naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> anyway, back to JT's thought-provoking treatise on why nicing it up, it may be unicornism. Three, never let a crisis go to waste. For whatever reason, progressive ideas and agenda items are unpopular in the main. And he gives several examples, including giant welfare state, open borders, decriminalization of crimes, court packing, nationalizing elections, which is why the left knows that a crisis is the perfect time to implement policy ideas. Look at how many trillions were wasted under the guise of the COVID pandemic for things completely unrelated to COVID uh, that didn't have support on their own. Even the Biden COVID relief bill that passed was only about 20% for COVID. And it isn't as if the GOP is guilt-free of using this technique as well. Crises will always be a fertile ground for passing for passing unpopular items. Okay? Uh, true. Uh, four, this is absolutely true. Media and cultural asymmetry favors the left. Face it, the left owns the majority of the media, big tech, academia, Hollywood, unions, and government bureaucracies. That massive advantage means that the left doesn't need to play on an even playing field. They get to blame Republicans for school shootings, then propose gun legislation that wouldn't stop school shootings, then attack Republicans as heartless co-conspirators to child murder for blocking their gun legislation. And he doesn't say this, but I would add to it, and nobody's going to call him on it because the media, big tech, academia, Hollywood unions, and government bureaucracies are on their side. And finally, I like this. Uh, Dems live by Article 5. Jack, you've brought up this uh, this notion, the NATO of, uh, what is it, activists or whatever? Right. Article 5, uh, an attack on one is an attack on all, yeah. Exactly. The Democratic Party is a loose coalition of diverse special interest groups, blacks, unions, well, decreasingly blacks, certainly not Hispanics, but unions, extreme environmentalists, anti-growth, anti-white, abortion on demand, open borders, green energy, living wage, anti-capitalist, Marxist, etc. And one group doesn't necessarily care about another group, except they all know that to retain power, they need to blindly and fully support each other, whether they agree with their fellow Democrat or not. In such a coalition, there is no compromise possible. For example, Dems as a whole can't support what the majority of the country wants, uh, re-controlling the border because throwing the open border crowd under the bus will result in the open border crowd failing to support every other special interest group within the Democratic Party. It takes two to tango, but it only takes one to wage war. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, my response to that would be, uh, as, that is all very true as things are currently constituted, but we need to have them not be constituted the way they are currently. This is an oil tanker. we got to turn around, and it's going to take a long time. And you'd start with, like I was talking about the other day, um, stop punishing 
a Republican who goes who's seen out to dinner with a Democrat and vice versa, and they 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 lose their next election by somebody. I won't even be in the same room as a Democrat, or I wouldn't even talk to a Republican. You know that that we'd have to we have to change that part of the culture in terms of nicing it up. Stop calling each other liars and communists and uh, and child murderers. And over time, maybe we can get to a point where you can be in the same room and come up with something that most people will be okay with. Yeah, I think the linchpin of all of this is awareness, which does not make me uh, optimistic. The more people understand what's actually happening, as opposed to what they're told is happening by the media and and uh, academia and the rest of it, the better chance we have, but we're so outnumbered in the messaging game. I mean, for instance, if people really understood, getting back to some things that JT throws out at the end of his email, um, blah, 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 blah. If people really understood the Russian collusion story, the kids in cages, uh, the teachers' unions have no problem hurting kids if doing so will give them something they want. How many people understand that's why the schools were closed for so long? How many people understand uh, big tech has no problem tipping the scales if it gets their side elected? Uh, how many people understand that Obama had no problem closing down Mount Rushmore viewing turnouts or, or, or the D.C. open-air mall, even though it was more work to block it off during the government shutdown than to just leave it open? How many people understand what really happened there? Until it's 51% plus, I think we're screwed. Mm, well, that's nice. Well, I don't know. Again, I'm a realist. We're screwed. We're screwed and we're doomed. Wake up. Smell the doom. Um, (laughs) That would be a pretty good t-shirt, too. What's that? Well, either we're screwed or wake up and smell the doom. Pretty good little dust up on CNN the other day. Now that they've started having conservative hosts or uh, panelists get into the conversations as opposed to having nine people who agree with each other weigh in on every issue saying the same thing. In a circle, Jay, pardon me. On how scared parents should be about their kids being shot at school, which to me is not very much, even though it's obviously a horror. Well, anyway, I can jump into that a little bit. I think it's a pretty interesting topic in terms of being a realist about what's a threat and what's not. They just discovered a horrifying, uh, or a very cool, I guess, dinosaur that used to live, I'll tell you about. A, a well, g- horrifying if you're a fat, meaty dinosaur, I'm guessing. Yeah, if you were a delicious dinosaur, this would have been mm. very bad for you. Uh, among other stories we have on the way, stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So everybody thought we killed the electric vehicle. No, we didn't. It's alive and well. So what's charging the, the batteries right now? What where, where's what's the source of a? Well, here it's, it's coming from the building. I mean, are, is it? Um, what's our mix of power? Oh, actually, Lansing feeds the building. What's that? Lansing feeds power to the building. So I don't, I don't know. They're. Uh, I bet you they're a bit of coal. Oh, they're heavy on natural gas, aren't they? Uh, right now, the car is charging off of your grid. Right. Well, it would be charging off. Uh, our grid, which is nine, about 95% coal. So that's uh, General Motors' <laughs> Kristen Zimmerman being asked, what's charging the battery as they uh, talk about their new electric car and how exciting Oh, they had a big event. They were touting it. Everybody was milling around taking pictures and saying how wonderful it was. <laughs> right. And I drive an electric car, and uh, I, like, I actually bought it because I didn't want to pay for gas. Uh it's not really a green thing with me. If you're green, it's if if you're doing it for green reasons, it's harder to excuse. Because it gets very complicated very fast, as we've talked about many, many times, on where the electricity is coming from and how green that is. But anyway, separate topic. That is a nut that is yet to be cracked on the whole electric car thing. But just in case it wasn't apparent to you, so they finally figured out what is charging the battery of the wonderful green electric car, and it's 95% coal. <laughs> Right there in Lansing, Michigan. Oh, my God. You can't make this stuff up. So CNN has uh, changed their 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 the way they do things a little bit. And uh, now they're going to try to add uh, um, a contrary voice to a lot of their panel discussions, which they haven't done for a very long time. Yeah, they got a new boss. 
And one of them is Jonah Goldberg, who was one of, on one of the shows the other day, and they were having a talk about the Uvalde shooting and Matthew McConaughey's speech and all that sort of stuff. I'll read a little bit from Jonah Goldberg's description of this, what turned into a little bit of a confrontation. After both a conversation about how lots of parents, moms in particular, are scared that their kids are not safe from mass shooters, as well as an extended clip from Matthew McConaughey's White House appearance, I made a simple point, says Jonah Goldberg. So look, I think I agree with everything that McConaughey said, and I share your moral outrage entirely, and I share the moral outrage with everybody on this panel about how horrific and just morally repugnant these slaughters are. But when I listen to you guys talking about how you're scared for your own kids, and I have a daughter... I get being scared. If we're going to start telling people that they should be scared about how this could happen to them, we should at least put some of this in perspective. And that's when people started jumping in very quickly. Uh, Jonah Goldberg pointed out that there are roughly 54 million kids in American schools and that in the last three decades, over 30 years, 170 kids have been killed in school shootings. And he says, as I started to explain that kids are statistically in much more danger on the drive to and from school than they are at school, things got passionate. And uh, I've got the transcript here. I've actually listened to it, but everybody's talking over each other. One of the guests, Navarro, said, no, 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 no. Casey Hunt, the host, said, no, we aren't going to say, Navarro, Jonah, we can't do this. Um, Goldberg says, it's just a fact of the matter. No, but we can't go. They should be scared, says Casey Hunt, because he'd gone against the narrative of, Hmm. of everybody being scared. Um, a, li- a child's life cannot be a statistic, right? You can't tell parents of uh, Parkland and the other shootings. You can't tell these parents that's moral bullying, said Jonah Goldberg. And they got into a, a, a bunch of more people talking over each other about how that's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. Wow. How I, interesting. Facts versus feelings. Well, that's, you know. I, I find this an interesting discussion. Um. It's complicated, man, because I, I have the the the. The day of the shooting, I had the emotions everybody else did. And still have them when I read about it. It's freaking absolutely awful. I'm almost uncomfortable talking about this. But, you know, I guess some of it might be the the difference between an accident and something doing something on purpose. Um, You know... The, the more kids being killed going to and from school are all accidents. And we do a whole bunch of different things to try to avoid accidents, but accidents still happen. But the fact of the matter that, like, I'm not scared of my kids at school today. Both my kids are at school today. I have zero worry about it. Zero. And I never have any, had any worry about a school shooting as far as my kids. I just mm-hmm. don't. Now, does that make me nuts or what? Jonah Goldberg was saying the same thing, as opposed to the other hosts on the show saying, I worry about sending my kids to school. That's not rational. It's not rational to be worried about your kids being shot at school if you're not worried about any of the other things. Well, what I think is really interesting about that exchange and the disconnect there, <clears throat> excuse me, is that um, it seems as though the panelists interpreted Jonah saying, listen, don't let it torture you, that fear, mm-hmm. because it's spectacularly unlikely. They interpreted that as being uninterested in solving the problem. Well, which he goes on to make the point that he's absolutely interested in, in looking at some of the various gun stuff or whatever. we, You know, getting making the schools more safe, red flag laws, whatever you want to do. But and, and I'm for taking a look at that stuff, too, and figuring out what's constitutional, what actually works. But it doesn't get away from the fact that way more kids are killed on transportation than they are by school shooters in terms of what you're afraid of on a daily basis. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting, and you get this on both sides, but I'm reminded of the Matt Walsh uh, What is a Woman trailer that we played a couple hours ago. Maybe we should play it again next hour. Um, uh, in which uh, the activists just disengaged. They wouldn't even have a calm discussion. They just over and over said, this interview is over, or we're going to end this interview if you don't stop asking me that. And he was in very calm, gentle fashion, just trying to understand what they meant. I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. When you got a lot of uh, high emotions involved, and how would you not on the the subject of school shootings? If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.